Well, as has become our custom, um, we started the first month of the year um, immersing ourselves in the stories that Jesus told, right? The stories of how life really works, of what it looks like to, to grow up, to mature, to live in the kingdom of God. That the reality is that we're already in it, right? And that our, because of what Jesus has done, like our desire is to live well into that reality. The, the word of God himself, Jesus, speaking words that for us, images, pictures that expand our imagination and clear up what life with God, more accurately God with us and God for us, truthfully entails. What it actually looks like to be humans in relationship to God. That's what the stories of Jesus were about. They're not so much um, trying to, to give us some sort of moral behavior to, to have, but they're rather they are pictures painted so that we can have an image of what it actually looks like to be what God has created us to be. Obviously, there's behavior that comes from that, right? Like when we see clearly who God is and who we are in relationship to him, we act a certain way, we do things a certain way, right? But that's not the point of the parables, it isn't simply action. It really is to give us an image and to clear up our misconceptions of who we think God is and how we think God's working. What we think God expects of us and how we are expected to live in relation to him. What we discover is that in the life with God, in the parables of Jesus, we don't just have a picture of God, but we really discover in some ways our purpose, our personhood. Um, and, and so, the question then becomes for us, how do we live? How do we live off these pictures? What do these images do to reshape our aspirations for the year, right? Or we don't simply aspire, again, to lose weight or to, to be better with finances or to, um, to achieve some sort of goal. We aspire to be ones who live well and true and fully into who God has us to be for his glory, right? That's what we're after. I don't know everybody here, but most of the people that I know here, I know that's what we're after. That's what we desire. Whether, it, we, whether we feel like we're doing that well or not, that's, that's here or there, right? Like, kind of depends on the day. Um, but I think we're all after that. We all long for that. We're all striving for that. And so it's interesting that, like, all of us at some level want to do the best with our lives that we can. Would you say that's true? Like, we want to do the best with our lives that we can for God. Like that we actually long to do that and desire to do that. Well, one of the interesting things, at least in our parables that we, that we immersed ourselves in last month, is beyond all the, um, the, um, the themes that popped out, all the consistencies of the, the king character, the, the authority character and his nature, one thing seemed to kind of stand out above all. That there is a common theme that stands out in the parables that a life is given for living. One's life of living is bestowed so another can receive the honor, the restoration, dignity, elevation, and resources for living. In all of our parables we looked at last month, this is true. In the first story, the self-humiliating father legally dies so his sons could have his life, his livelihood, from which to make and enjoy their own lives. Even if they squandered it, even if one of them wasted it in bitterness and one of them wasted it in his own power, it was still the father's life that they lived on. Everything that they had came from the father. He willfully died to himself legally and gave them all that they needed 
for the enjoyment and fullness of life. In the second story, the compassionate householder who come, we come to find out is the Lord of the vineyard gives what was his away, his livelihood, his earnings. He pays more than the expected wage and he does so in a way that elevates, harmonizes those under his employment, brings them all to the same place. He gives them all what they need to live and to live abundantly and bountifully. Dignity and resources. In the third story, the rich man doubly pays the price of the clever crook's life with nothing less than his own life. What was his to entrust and what was owed to him, right? The, 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 the steward who mismanaged, mismanaged not his life, but the rich man's life. That's what he was in charge of. And the rich man didn't demand that he paid back the life that he wasted, not his own life, but the life of the, the rich man. He didn't demand it. He pays for it there and lets him, lets him continue to live freely. But then when the, 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 uh, the clever crook takes advantage of the grace bestowed upon him, the rich man doubly pays for his salvation, paying what, not what he owed legally to the people that the, the crook had, um, had gotten to lower their, what they owed, but takes it on himself to pay it for him. And finally, last week, we saw that the, the master entrusted his own life and livelihood to those under his charge. And in doing so, elevated slaves to siblings. In the last story, we, we, he's known as the master later on in the story, but the story starts out as just the man. <laughs> the man. The man gave his life to elevate those who are fully and completely possessed by him, entrusting them with his own life so that they might get to experience the abundance of his life as siblings. It's a pretty credible story, right? Like this is a pretty, pretty amazing thing, amazing grace that we've discovered in these first four parables. But what we notice in this is that none, not anyone in any of the stories lived on what was theirs at the beginning. None of them lived on what was theirs at the beginning. Each of the characters, which we find ourselves relating to in some way or another, right? Sometimes we feel like the prodigal or the older son. Sometimes, uh, even if we don't like to admit it, we're the ones late to the party in working, um, or maybe we're the ones early to the party and kind of disgruntled um, that we got the same as the ones that were, that were late. Or sometimes, like if, if, again, we really don't like to manage it, we're the crooked, crooked crook, right? Like we're the ones who mismanage what the Father's given us and have to rely on his grace, right? Or sometimes we find ourselves as ones who understand that we've been fully entrusted and empowered to live a life full and complete and we get to experience the fullness of it. Or we bury it away and miss it, right? Like we, we identify at some level with all these people, right? But each one of these people, none of these people had anything on their own to use, to give. They were all held to account of what they were given, which is not their own, but was the masters, the person in authority, right? Even more so, they needed what was given to be ones who could use their natural ability to make a living, right? That there's an assumption in the story that they needed resources from outside of themselves, another life in order for their lives to be whole and complete for them to be able to be dignified, to be able to make a living, to be able to use what was naturally theirs. 
And they were provided with empowerment, purpose, and everything they needed for a genuine whole life. That's what the stories over and over again paint a picture of, right? Again, sometimes the characters squandered it. Sometimes they tripped over themselves. Sometimes they blatantly messed it up. All those kind of things, right? But what was true is they were given something that they needed, both in resources and in dignity, for the purpose of being who they were made to be in their fullness. The one giving gave generously and sacrificially. He compassionately bestowed dignity and mutuality in those who clearly, even if not admittedly, needed him. And it was the man's talents in our final parable last week, his abundant life and livelihood, which the servants turned siblings were expected to put to work and from which an equally abundant life was produced. Again, it wasn't their abilities and skills. It was his talents, the talents given to them. And again, the word talents, if you read the pastoral note this week, um, um, we mentioned this and we talked about it last Sunday, the word talents in our scripture does not mean talent like we think of it. It's, it's the weight, it's a weight of measuring amount of resource, amount of wealth, right? They were given the weight that they needed the resources they needed, the wealth that they needed to be able to live on. It wasn't that they were, they were given certain skills and abilities. This isn't personality types. This isn't like, what, what are you good at and what are you not good at? There's an assumption that all those things that you're good and not good at, that you'll be able to use those when you have the right resources to put them into action, right? That you're entrusted and empowered and dignified. And when you use what is yours naturally, also God-given, yes, but naturally yours, when you use what is given to you, his life, then abundance is produced. Abundant life is produced. It's the giver's life that we are meant to employ, to put to work. Life and livelihood bestowed on to us, whether we feel in, entitled to it, um, whether we feel like we missed out on it, whether we feel like we're gonna mess up with it, but it's given to us so that we might live well with honor and dignity, purpose and abundant fruitfulness. And that's important for us to get. We've, we've said it in some way every week for the last five weeks, right? Six weeks now. But it's important for us to get because Jesus' depiction of life with God, his picture painted so that we might see clearly who God is and what he expects of us is an image of people who live not by their own wit and wisdom, abilities and, and skills, who aren't determined, predetermined by their circumstances for what they can and cannot do, but rather who live on through and in step with the living they have received the life they have received, his life, which they've received. That's the image of life with God that we're given, that we're meant to imitate, that we're meant to, having observed in Jesus, live out. It's maybe like as the Apostle Paul summed up when he penned the hymn, it's true that for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. We sing that, but we're singing what Jesus has described for us, that everything in life is from him and through him and to him, literally, practically. And while we could say amen and simply sing that truth, or what we've come to or beginning to see as the reality of God with us and for us in Jesus, the truth of the matter is now that we know it, we have to live it. Now that we know, we have to live it. And that's the warning that we saw last week at the end of the parable in Matthew's gospel, right? One of my favorite authors pointed this out. He said, we wake up already immersed in a large story, a story of creation and covenant, the story of Jesus and the stories that Jesus told. The kingdom is here and we're in it, right? We wake up every day we breathe breath. This is what Peter says at the end of his second letter. 
Every day that we wake up, we wake up into the patience of God, the grace of God, the mercy and longing for God, for us to have life and that no one should perish, right? Every day we wake up into that reality. How amazing is that? But the parable of the holy possessed and richly entrusted, the, the parable of the talents is a sobering word. Non-participation, that is not putting to use the life given to us for our living, is not a casual matter. There are no, there are no non-participants in Jesus' kingdom. A timid refusal to abide and obey makes us liable to the same judgment as overt and defiant disobedience. Remember, the servant was called wicked, not incompetent. It wasn't that he just didn't use his skills and abilities. Is it he actually worked in opposition to the desires of the one who gave him life? Obediently following Jesus in this already inaugurated kingdom of God is serious business indeed. And as Lexi read for us, right, what are we to take seriously? Not ourselves, but God and God with us, right? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. In a way, what Jesus painted a picture for us, what Paul has affirmed and what the scriptures have said over and over again, but we tend to have a hard time figuring out, right? Is that there is not life in Jesus, there is life in Jesus. There's not life in Jesus, there's life in Jesus. In fact, John, which we've read over and over again the last few months, this will be the last time we probably go into John 1 for a little bit. John 1 begins this way, it says, in him, in Jesus, the word, the word that was at the beginning, the word that was with God, the word that is God, in him life was. In him life. Life originates in him. Life is him. And this life that was in him was the light of humanity, was the clarity of how humanity moves forward, was the way that humanity saw a path forward, right? It was, it was the way humanity was meant to go, the light that it was meant to live in. And so we're either living on the talents given to us, his talents, Jesus's wealth, his faith, his life, his position in the kingdom, or we're bearing them away. We're either living on his talents or we're bearing them away. Either we are experiencing grace and truth of reality in Jesus, the grace that, that in his fullness we've all received, grace that's succeeding grace perpetually, or we, especially we, older siblings, we first to the fields, we well-positioned stewards, we rich but maybe not in comparison, find the fruitless and effective knowledge that does not mature. We're either experiencing grace, surpassing grace perpetually, or, or when we bury the talents given us, the life given to us, we find ourselves ineffective and unfruitful, a life that does not last, and as we saw last week, that kind of life is truly dark, right? That kind of life is bitter and creates a bitter faith. Indeed, all of life is from Jesus, in Jesus, and to Jesus. This is the mystery that Paul says, the rich mystery that has been an epiphany to the saints, a revelation to those who are called into the light by Jesus. And this is the mystery that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. 
Again, what is your hope? Is it your hope to do well with what you've been given, like your abilities and skills and talents to do well with your life or to do well with his life, to live on his life? What is your hope? Is your hope his life or is your hope your life? Now we can say that it's, it's, to do, it's, it's his life, right? But practically, practically, how do we live? Do we live off the expectation that if I do what I can do best and well, then everything will be all right? And that God will kind of help me do that, right? Or do we live off of what he has given? Is our hope really in Jesus? When I lack faith, is Jesus' faith enough? Do we live off the hope that's in us, which is Christ? And so it is Jesus who Paul, with his faithful sisters and brothers, proclaim. I mean, look, at, look at this in Colossians. He says, Jesus we proclaim. Not just, hey, abundant life we proclaim, or hey, do this certain way, or hey, be a part of this in a certain way we proclaim. We don't proclaim that. We proclaim Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is life. All of life. We proclaim and admonish, that is, make plain in mind with an urgency. Every person, teaching every person in all wisdom, so we may present every person mature in what? In Christ. Not mature in your gifts or abilities. Not mature in your vision of a good life and of what life looks like good, but mature in Christ and who Christ is and what Christ longs for you. And notice this. What Paul says is both the end and the means of this life that we're after. Unto Jesus maturity and all do I toil. That's what Paul is after. That's it. Unto Jesus, this is, this is a little more literal translation, so it reads a little funny, but I think it's important for us to read it a little funny because it, it kind of gets us off of our, uh, our, our familiarity a little bit. But it says, unto Jesus maturity and all do I toil. Unto Jesus maturity. That's it. That's the only thing Paul's doing his entire life. What he's given it to is that all might be mature in what? In Christ. Striving with what? Paul's energy? His talents? His skills? His intelligence? His history? No, with his, Jesus's energy, working in me in power. He toils, not with his own natural giftedness, unique createdness, but he struggles and toils with what? The energy of Jesus in him. With Jesus, his energy. With Jesus's life. Listen, Paul's only affirming what Jesus himself said. What he described for us in the parables, what he said explicitly in John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine. I'm the source of life, right? I'm, I am that which grows and, and all of life comes from me. It flows through me. And you are the branches. You come out of my life, right? You are a part of my life. Whoever abides in me, and listen, I in him. It's not just that you abide in Jesus. Like we talk a lot about that, right? It's necessary. We talk a lot about abiding in Jesus, that we're meant to abide. A lot of the things we do as a faith family is to help us abide in Jesus. But Jesus says, it's not just you abiding in, in me, it's me abiding in you. Have you thought about that? The reality of that. How much do we stop at abide in me and don't let and sink in the I in you? 
Maybe that's why we're an anxious group sometimes. Maybe that's why we strive really hard for seasons and sprint really hard for seasons and then find ourselves fatigued and tired. Maybe that's why faith seems more like an up and down roller coaster in this continuous movement towards maturity. Maybe, just maybe. Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, abundance, life in its fullest, life that continues and lasts forever is the way he described it a couple verses later. Then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Apart from me, there is no life. There is no life in me. There's life in me, period. That's it, nothing. Nothing that's real life, nothing that's real life comes apart from me. All life, whole, full, practical, authentic, is from, in, and to Jesus. Life which is now in us, our life, the light of humanity breaking forth in us, through us, into the chaos and ignorance of merely existing. And it's not appropriated by the darkness around it. So, why are we talking about this? Why are we saying this again? Um, listen, the way our, our kind of faith family works is in our rhythms, we try to spend a month or a couple months of, of, of time just immerse ourselves in the stories of Scripture, in the, in the, in the, the words of Scripture. And then we kind of, kind of come up a little bit and say, okay, so how does that work out in life? How do we practically follow these things, right? A lot of times we talk about different faith practices and what it looks like to follow Jesus in those seasons. But as we begin a year where we've spent the last month, of the first month of the year, trying to look at the kingdom, trying to look at how life really is, now we have to come up and breathe for a minute and say, if life really is, all of life really is in Jesus, what does that mean for us? How do we live that out? And so, I'm gonna do a really bad job, but for the next few moments, I kinda of wanna give us a picture, practical picture of what I think Jesus has been talking about over the last month, right? That I think it will help us as a faith family, as a people of God, as the church, who are trying to be a people of God together, of how functionally we live this out, right? This maturing in Christ together thing out, right? All of life in Christ together thing out. So I say I'm gonna do a bad job because I'm about to show you some clip art. And so um, if you've been around for a while, yeah, yeah, hold on, put it down for a second. Don't, 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 spoil, don't, don't spoil it. Um, I, uh, I have no technical skills or artistic skills. Um, and so, um, so sorry. Um, if this doesn't make any sense, forgive me. Um, but but I try, I'm trying to help visualize this kind of idea. So if, if we think about it, most people fall into one of two camps, even within the church, right? We tend to think about life kind of in like little, like little spheres, little bubbles. And so um, life kind of moves around in somewhat of a nebulous fashion. Like we have family and friends, we have work, we have community, we have activities, we have passions, we have church, we have relationships with God, we have relationships with outsiders, whatever. We kind of tend to categorize, right? And those things kind of move around and swirl. As much as we'd like to line them up in our calendars, it doesn't really ever work. Like, hey, today is, is work day. And then, uh, and then after that is, uh, is communion with God time. And then like we try to, to block it out, but it never really works like that, right? Like it all kind of runs into each other. And in reality, it's some, there's something that centers us, right? Like there's something that our life tends to at some point kind of orbit around. 
And so usually, um, it kind of depends on life stage. Um, usually that, that is like maybe your work or your passion before you're married, right? Like, or maybe it's your community, but maybe it's your work or passion, um, what you're desiring to, to accomplish. When you're married, maybe it's your marriage um, or your career within marriage and all those kind of things, trying to, to, to kind of bump into each other and figure out how they work out. And then when you have kids, if you're, if you're like us and we have young kids, it seems like they're the centering, the centering thing, right? They're the thing that everything orients around, which we spent a couple weekends ago saying that's probably not healthy, right? Like we should probably figure out ways to, to, to not make that the center. But, but like that tends to kind of be this thing. Or, or maybe church is the thing you orient around. Because listen, you long to be one who honors God in all you do with what you do, right? There's an assumption that the most of the people that Jesus is sharing the stories with of the kingdom of God are people who want to be in the kingdom. You think about that, right? That Jesus's stories are shared to, to Jews who have been longing for a Messiah, to the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers who have given their lives to knowing God and trying to live in a way that brings God's action into reality, into the world. He's not talking to just random people, right? He's talking to people who long for the kingdom. That's why he can use kingdom language because they know what the kingdom is, right? There's something that connects with them in that. And so at some level, like if, if we're honest, we kind of see and then now you can throw up the clip art. Um, we kind of see the church is this kind of orbiting reality, right? Because listen, we want to honor God. So the things that we do as a church, gospel community, faith practices, Sunday worship, service, any, anything you can list, right? Anything you want to add into that, into what you kind of categorize as church and what it means to be a part of church. We kind of, we kind of try to fit all of that as kind of centering of our lives so that, we can take Jesus into these other areas. That's kind of the flow of stuff, right? Like that's the little lines, the little dotted lines. Again, clip art and awesome. Um, so, someday somebody with the skills will do much better than this. With, but, but until then, until Andrew decides he wants to do it, this is what we get. And so, um, um, no pressure, Andrew. Um, <laughs> so, so this is kind of what, what we want to, we come together as a church so that we can kind of take Jesus into these places right? Or so that we can have enough energy to follow Jesus into these places, right? Because sometimes it's kind of draining, right? But like we kind of try to orient our life around this. Now listen, if you've been a car of Christ City for a while, you may be like, no, that's not how we work. We don't do enough stuff to, uh, to um, orbit around, right? To kind of set our schedules to, that's on purpose. Um, but in reality, most of us have grown up in a culture where like this is kind of normative, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Again, where does the longing come from? Longing comes from we want to do well with what we've been given. Like we want to honor God with our lives. And so the church, being a part of the church, orienting our life around church is how we get to do that in all the other spheres of life, right? But what's the problem with that idea from what we just read about in Scripture? Does, does anywhere in the way Jesus talks about life, does he split it up into circles? I'm just asking. Like, is there any assumption that anything is done outside of life with him? Because listen, historically, even if we don't want to admit it, we tend to think of the church, that's where Jesus is, right? That's where God is. This is where I'm with people who help me 
like be with God. And from there, I can go out into these other places where God's not, right? Or where God's not as much, right? But what did Jesus say? Nothing exists except what he created, right? That's what he said just before he said that he's the life of light. If you go to John chapter one, it says that he created all things. All things came into being through him and nothing exists that is not through him. All of life is in Jesus because Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. All of life is in Jesus. And so even by breaking up life into categories and thinking a really important one, okay, go back, sorry, go back. Um, Even thinking of life um, in categories, breaking it up and making something really good and sweet and, and helpful and needed and necessary, the center, still gets us off. Still finds us off rhythm, out of alignment, off orbit. But, now you can throw up the next one. <laughs> but if we take all those categories and put them into the center of life, which is Jesus, we don't, maybe we stop trying to categorize. And we just call it life. Life. Just life. All of life, it's in Jesus. When all of life becomes in Jesus, then the things that we call church, gospel community, spiritual friendships, Sunday gatherings, faith practices, all they do is make sure that we stay centered and oriented around the reality that all of life is in Jesus. They push us back into the life of Jesus, life with Jesus, all of life in Jesus. Right? And I know that, that may seem like silly, right? Like, oh, this is just language and semantics or whatever. But it's kind of important if all of life is meant to be lived in, from, through, to Jesus, that, that we see all of life into and through from Jesus. And that the only way that we can live that life well and mature is with other people who are reminding us of that reality, right? Why? Because our tendency is to pull it off into spheres, to, to get out of the orbit, to live certain parts of life in relationship to Jesus, to make certain even good things in life the center of life that aren't really the center of life. And we miss, as Paul would say in Ephesians, getting to see the fullness of the spirit that flows into and out of life. Life with God, life in marriage, life in family, life in employment, life as children and families. That's, that's Ephesians 5. That's 5, 20 through 6, 10. Is Paul just describing for us all of life in Jesus? And that this is actually where the fullness of the Spirit blooms and blossoms. The full life that you want and long for. And that the people that you share life with help you continue, live in, breathe out in, mature into that reality. That's what Paul's doing, right? Unto the maturity in Jesus, in all do I toil. Because the reality is, Church is important. Sharing life with Jesus, with others, sharing life with others in Jesus is a necessity. Here's how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 2. You can turn there if you want, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. We're going to briefly talk about this, and then I'm going to let you guys chat about some things. So here's Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And let me just briefly say, the Corinthians are messed up, right? If you know anything about the Corinthians, they don't seem to get life right very well, right? They've got all kinds of issues. Paul's gonna talk about some of these issues in a, in a brief moment to them. Like, they're letting things happen within their community that are like twisted, twisted, right? That even those that have no one, not, nothing to do with Jesus even see as twisted, right? So like, these aren't necessarily like the cream of the crops, right? This isn't, this isn't Ephesus. This isn't ones who like, who got it all figured out and all that kind of stuff. This is, this is people who've just come out of the world, right? And like are trying to follow Jesus and maybe aren't the greatest at it. But just after what we read, Paul will say, but you're the crown, uh, you're the jewel of my crown in the kingdom which is pretty incredible, right? Like, just keep that in mind as we're talking about this, right? So, but, but Paul's writing to this group who's pretty messed up, but who he thinks is pretty awesome, who, who, who don't get it all right, who have a lot to still figure out, but who he would say has every gift they need within their body to be fully mature in Jesus. They have everything they need. They have everything they need in life to get the very thing that they're longing for out of life in a way that does it well and good, right? Like, they've got that, right? So, so if we don't think we fit into the, to the group, like we do, <laughs> we're like all of us finds ourselves somewhere in the Corinthian church. There's a few people who got in the Corinthian church. That's why they had Paul write them. Um, and then there are those who are still trying to figure it out, right? And that's us, right? There's a few who kind of have it maybe a little together, kind of, sort of, on occasion, but it depends on the day of the week you talk to us. And there are those of us who are still trying to just figure it out. That's just, that's just people. That's just life. That's life in Jesus, Right? And here's what Paul says to them. He calls all of them the church, the called out assembly of God, the called out assembly of God, the ones who have been called together for God, being in Corinth. Your translation just may say in Corinth. The original language adds being, meaning that this is where they are becoming who they are, living not just the idea of like they physically reside there, but together being called out, they are becoming this called out group in this particular place, right? They're getting to flesh out this God-givenness in this particular place. Having been set apart as holy within Christ Jesus. Within Christ Jesus. They're set apart as holy, not with Jesus over here, now they're over here to be holy, but within Jesus, within Christ, they've been made holy, separate, right? Go back to that same idea of like life in Jesus. And listen to what he calls them. He says they're called like in nature with the Lord. They're called like in nature with the Lord. That what they're after is to be like Jesus, right? They're, they're called to be that. They're dignified, resourced, empowered, entrusted with that life. And that's what they're striving after, right? Called to be like in nature with the Lord, to follow Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. Together. <laughs> it's the important part, right? Almost all of our scripture is written to groups of people, never to individuals, right? Very rarely is any of the you in scriptures singular. Most of them are plural. 
Right? There's an assumption that this call is not uniquely yours, but is ours. And not just ours here, but with all those called on the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord of us, Jesus Christ, in every place, both theirs and ours. Which is pretty incredible, right? Like that we're not, what we're after, we're not after alone. Like we're a part of something that's so much more expansive than us. Not just the kingdom of God in some sort of inferior way, but in the reality of God's kingdom coming all in Jesus through all his people all over the world in every time and place, right? It's pretty awesome that what we do here is a part of a giant organism, that our lives are caught up in something much more than whatever we see or feel or think. To those, he says, grace to you and peace from God, Father of us and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank the God of me at all times, all around you for the grace of God having been given to you inside Christ Jesus. You know, again, this reads really funny. But what Paul is saying is, I thank God of me, I thank my God, the God who I worship, the God who is, who is called me, I thank him all the times for the grace that surrounds you, immerses you, having, uh, having been given life inside of Jesus. So he's stating for them the reality of the things that we've stated for the last month, right? I'm giving thanks to God who has encapsulated you in the grace and truth of life in Jesus. That in every particular, you have been richly furnished within him. In every particular. You've been given everything, in every detail, in every way. You've been given life through him, in him, from him. Within him, you have everything you need for life. Everything. However you are uniquely crafted, whatever your history may be, whatever your circumstances may be, you have everything you need in you for life and life in the fullness. Why? Because it's within him. All speech and all knowledge, everything that I say about him, everything that you know about him instills this life within him. And as verse six says, becomes the testimony about Christ was made sure within you. That at some point you get to experience the fullness of this reality. It's something inside of you speaks to, declares this is true. Not because it's your truth, but because it is the truth, right? You get to live this. It's not just an idea, right? The life that we have from God in Jesus is not an idea, it's a reality. They were formed and crafted uniquely, but in, in this bigger bubble of God with us, for us, from everything in him, life. And that testimony, that thing which was spoken and the thing which was, was parsed out becomes something sure in you, within you. That's the goal. That's what we long for. Honestly, that's what we're all living off of, right? At some level, at one time or another, we have experienced some of that, right? And we long for more of it. We get a taste of it and we want more of it, right? Verse seven. So as for you, you who are encapsulated in the grace of Christ Jesus, who have been given everything you need to furnish, richly furnished for life in him, 
who will have and will experience the testimony of Christ sure within you. This will come to fruition. What I start, I complete, as the author of Hebrews would say. So as for you, not to be lacking in not one gift. Not to be lacking. There's nothing lacking in any gift. There's nothing more than you need than the life of Jesus. There's nothing more that you individually and us collectively need than the life of Jesus, what Jesus has given us. There's nothing more. You're not lacking in any one gift. Again, who is he writing to? The most messed up faith family in church history, right? If there weren't little people in the room, we'd go into detail, but we don't need to. You could just read the rest of the, the chapter, right? Like, most messed up faith family in church history. Not one gift is lacking. Not one thing. Not one thing. So that you might wait with decisiveness. You might be waiting decisively in a way that puts all that should be left behind, behind. That's what the eagerly awaiting means. That, that you wait for this maturing, this fullness the testimony and the surety of Jesus to come in its full fruition in a way that leaves behind, leaves out, puts off everything that isn't meant to be encapsulated in life in God. Everything that gets pushed away, that gets covered up, that moves back out of the light into darkness at the unveiling of the Lord of us, Jesus Christ. Everything that's not light. Verse eight, the Lord of us, Jesus, who also will sustain you to the end goal. Again, what's he saying? Whose energy allows you to experience the fullness of this? What life sustains your life? His life. What's the end goal? Again, maturity, right? Fullness of life in God, all life in Jesus. And then he says this amazing thing. So not be called to account in the day of our Lord of Jesus, Lord of us, Jesus Christ. It's like this little encouragement that Paul's giving, I think, to the Corinthians of listen. He's like, listen, this, this life of Jesus has sustained you. His faith, his death, his resurrection, his life, which is your life, means at the end, you won't give account for your life. You'll give an account for his. And what was his life? Perfectly acceptable. It's a, it's a pretty profound thing, right? That you will not be called into account. Not in the way that we think anyway, right? What have we discovered in the parables? It's, it's different than what we think. There is, there is a sense of judgment in the parables that we looked at, right? The, the manager lost his position within the community. But he didn't give up his life, which is what would have been expected. The account that we're called to is in a different account. At the judgment, the day of the Lord of us, Jesus Christ. Faithful is God. Faithful is God, that's how he ends it. Faithful is God, by whom you are called into the fellowship with the Son of him, Jesus Christ, the Lord of us. Faithful is the God who calls us to church, into the family, 
to be a part of these things. And so we come back to what is life and what are the things that we do as a people of faith, as a family of faith, that help us continue in living life in Jesus. Not just theoretically, but practically. How do we live off the life of Jesus? That's what we're gonna be answering for the rest of the month. But here's what I want us to do for the last few moments. Listen, there's, there's these things up here that we'll talk about, gospel community, spiritual friendships, so don't worry about all that. But what I want us to do for a few moments is this. Like, again, the goal is not for this just to be an idea, but for, for it to work down into practically how we're living together, right? So I want us to, to take a few moments and to talk about it. Talk about it in groups, talk about it with one another. This is a safe place to do that. If you're new with us, we, we do this quite often. We haven't got to do it as much because of, of certain circumstances over the last year and a half or so as we would as we'd like. But this is kind of how we function as a faith family. Um, and so we're gonna ask you in just a moment to break up into groups, to take what we've talked about and kind of begin talk about it a little bit more, discuss it a little bit more, help each other process it a little bit more. Um, and, uh, and then we'll come back for some communion at the end. But here's what I, was, what I want you to talk about in groups. How is church, the church, the first screen that we had, orbiting life from in and to Jesus different than building out life around the church? So the first model, the first little clip art I showed was life built around church, which again, maybe, maybe is not an issue for you, but I would assume that, that, life, that you want to live life well and so you tend to build your life around the things of life well in God and what you need to do to do that. What's the difference between taking that as the paradigm for how we exist together versus, hey, listen, all of life is in Jesus, so the things we do together are meant to just help us live that well. What's the difference? Why does it matter? Because it does. That's what we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks. Like what we see in the scriptures, what we see in church history even, is it matters what our life orbits around. It what matters how we live life. If we live life, if we strive to live life through our abilities, skills, talents, what we do in order to do what Jesus wants us to do, then we kind of missed it. Just a little bit, right? We missed at least the fullness and the fruitfulness of it. And it's subtle, but it matters. So let me do this. Let me pray for us, and then for like 10 minutes, you get to talk about it. So get into groups. If you don't feel comfortable talking, you don't have to. Like there's no, there's no requirement for it, but like this is a safe place just to process. We're all Corinthians, right? We're, we're, we're all like trying to figure out how to do this and to do this well uh, in Jesus, right? So help each other. You have the spirit. You have everything that's, that, that Paul says you have, that we have, right? Grace, a life lived completely engulfed in the grace upon grace. A life that's not yours, it's Jesus. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll chat. Father, um, I thank you that, um, I thank you for the rather plain, straightforward reality that life all of life is life in you. I confess as, as one who tends to categorize things, 
to put people and places, activities and functions in some sort of, some sort of order for my own sanity. That often I live out of my own life and not out of the life of Jesus. I thank you for the patience in that. For your patience and for your desire for more than what I can imagine or ask. And so I pray over these next few moments as we let um, the truth of, of reality that painted for us by the words of Jesus, the pictures of Jesus, testified to by the people of, of Jesus, Paul in the gospels and the stories about the gospels afterwards. Lord, that you would give us in your spirit wisdom and discernment of how we can live our lives in a way that we experience both the fullness of life in you and also get to be full participants, Father, in the life that is produced through you. Fruit that, that bears for eternity. Father, we come before you as those in the stories just confessing our need and thanking you, just as Paul wrote for us, that together, we have everything we need in Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. All right, groups, four to five-ish. You can be a little bit bigger if you want, but like not, I wouldn't do much. Four or five-ish, chat it out. The questions are up on the board, the screen, and then we'll come back together for communion, okay?